California, uh, we are positioned uh, with this budget to be able to deliver on what we've been promoting, universal health care for all, regardless of pre-existing condition, regardless of the ability to pay, and regardless of your immigration status. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. That comment from Governor Newsom sort of sets the stage for the discussion today. Uh, I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And when it comes to health, we have the guy that can talk about that. It's uh, Health Access California's Executive Director, Anthony Wright, who's been advocating for years uh, for expanded quality health care for all of us. So, Anthony, welcome. Thank you very much for coming today. Great to be back. What, what did you think about uh, that statement and the reality? Can we get this done? Is this something, is something we can actually do in California's political will there? Yeah, and Governor Newsom showed some of that will um, this week in the revealing of his budget, which uh, had a number of important steps to getting us closer to a universal, affordable, and equitable healthcare system. Obviously, the headline was removing the exclusion um, in Medi-Cal for based on immigration status, uh, something that we've been uh, doing in California as a result of a 10-year campaign where we've been chipping away at uh, removing this exclusion, um, first for children, then for young adults, and uh, in this last year for those 50 and above. But, uh, you know, the governor proposes that we would uh, fully eliminate the exclusion that uh, for income eligible Californians, those under 138% of the poverty level, all Californians would be able to avail themselves of this healthcare safety net program and regardless of immigration status. The budget also has a number of other key provisions, including a commitment to improve affordability um, uh, with premiums and cost sharing in covered California, efforts to reduce uh, or eliminate premiums in, in Medi-Cal for children and uh, working people with disabilities, and an Office of Healthcare Affordability to try to deal with the cost drivers and set some cost targets for the whole industry to try to reduce all of our uh, healthcare uh, cost burden. So uh, a, a lot of the really important things in this budget uh, that get us closer to, to that vision of a, a universal, affordable, and equitable health system. Why now, do you think? Is it, we've got a lot of dough. We've got a lot of, uh, the reserves have even gone up higher than they expected even a month or so ago. So I think they're north of $40 billion now. Is this a, is this a question of money that we have now, but are we worried that in the future we won't and we may have to roll back some of this stuff? Well, I think it's a, a, a couple of different things. Uh, one is obviously the opportunity of the resources that are available under this surplus and, and, and the growth that we see in the, in the budget. Uh, but these are long held issues. Uh, healthcare costs continually rate as one of the, the biggest concerns of the general popula population. It's, it's yeah. uh, you know, your, your, your health bill is, is oftentimes one of the biggest bills maybe after housing that a, that a, a family has. Uh, it, it certainly is, the, the thing that could, because of its suddenness, be the thing that, that sends people into uh, collections and bankruptcy. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a top of mind concern for so many families. And then I think uh, it, you add that to the general concern about cost of living in California and you know, now across the nation. But uh, I also think that the pandemic uh, helped bring this into sh sharper relief. Uh, I think we now realize more than ever that our health is connected to the health of 
each other, that, uh, that our healthcare system is stronger when everybody is included, uh, a, that uh, you know, our response to this pandemic was hampered by the fact that not everybody was included, not everybody had a, a comprehensive care. And that's why we need to both focus on these uh, you know, specific urgent needs to get people in the system to provide greater affordability assistance, as well as look um, broader and to, to a, a broader revamp of the healthcare system uh, to get a, a fully unified universal healthcare system uh, which the governor has also been pursuing in other ways. The, uh, there's a proposal out there, uh, which has got a lot of attention, rightly so, lately, AB 1400 by Ash Galra. It got a, basically a sympathy vote, got out of an early committee, uh, but it would set up CalCare, a, a universal, excuse me, a single-payer healthcare system, which would combine everything into one giant bureaucracy, I guess, or one component, and to pay for that separately, voters would have to approve uh, taxes. Now, opponents des describe that as $168 billion worth of new taxes. Uh, supporters say a lot of that money is already in the system. So it's not like a lot of new money has to come in to pay for this. We're already, there's already billions of dollars in the system that we haven't recovered yet. A lot of it insurance company profits, but other things too. What, what's your take on AB 1400? And is that a good idea, a bad idea, or? Both. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it's 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 a needed idea. It's you know we have a system right now that is inefficient, where we 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 pay more for healthcare than anybody else in the industrialized world, and we get worse outcomes as a result. And we pay more not because we use more more healthcare. Actually, we use less than um, folks in other countries. It's because we we pay more, and 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 part of it's because of the fragmented system we have now, which is confusing and complex and frankly Kafka-esque for the patient, but it is, uh, uh, but it's, it's also remarkably inefficient at getting, and not aligned with getting better, better prices or better quality or equity. It, uh, the incentives are more about providers getting bigger or, you know, uh, doing other things other than um, getting the best, the best treatment or frankly, uh, you know, keeping us healthy. Uh, in terms of, of public health prevention and the like. So we, we, we do need uh, significant reform and a unified system would provide us the tools, the levers to get uh, both uh, a more efficient system, a more effective system, a more equitable system. Uh, and, uh, and so we need to go in this direction. The, the, the cost is a, a little bit um, misleading because we have a $500 billion health system in California right now. And so the point of raising revenue is that it, is that, that would be in place of the money that we spend now on premiums, on deductibles, on cost sharing, et cetera. Uh, right. The idea would be that can we capture the over $250 billion that the federal government um, funds our healthcare system? Can we combine that with money we raise from taxes and then just have a system where everybody's included and everybody has, uh, you know, comprehensive benefits to, uh, so that that is a point of security for them and, and their family. Um, whereas right now, you know, people even say they're lucky to have good benefits at their work, but they are, they, but even those who feel lucky in that regard, quote unquote, 
um, are scared that it won't be for them, be there for them when they change jobs, when there's a divorce, when if they if if their age changes, etc. And so uh, we we need a we need a, a better system and. Uh, and I think it's really important to have the conversations that are are spurred on by AB fourteen hundred by Assemblymember Ash Kaura, uh, and also that is happening at the Healthy California for All Commission, which I'm on, that is trying to work through some of these issues as well. So. I on the idea, even if we could get this paid for, the, assuming that the tax increase passes, our healthcare system is tied into the federal healthcare system, and you know we have forty nine other states. How would that work? And and also, is there any other state? I mean, uh, Hawaii has some sort of a, a state healthcare system, if I'm not mistaken. Can you talk about how that would work with the other states and the rest of the rest of the United States? So you're right that it would require federal approval there that uh, because so because so much of our healthcare system is financed by the federal government, Medicare, especially but, and Medicaid, but, um, it, you know, other various uh, programs as well. So you would you would need to, to to get federal approval. And that's very hard. Hawaii. Um, has a not a, a single payer system, but an employer mandate that does have a congressional exemption from a, a, a federal law called ERISA, uh, and you know, getting that federal approval would be tough and would take some time. And so that's why I do think that it's important to have this two-track strategy of 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 working on how do we do a broader reform to the healthcare system, like single payer, to get to unified financing. At the same time, working on providing tangible, urgent help to people as soon as possible, like expanding Medicaid, like providing greater affordability assistance in covered California, and like having um, a greater oversight uh, on healthcare costs through something like an Office of Healthcare Affordability. Would we have to get federal permission to do it? The governor is proposing, which would add, say, 700,000 people who don't have healthcare now to the Medi-Cal rolls which is a state federal mix of funding, it's supported by that. Uh, do we have to go, would we, to get that approved, do, do we have to go to the federal government and get a say, an okay for that or no? No, we, could, we would do that largely through state funds. And we, we have done that for actually decades with um, other populations of folks that were excluded from the federal program. Medicaid is largely a 50-50 mix, uh, Medi-Cal uh, in California. Um, will California will take on both sides of that and will and will fund that directly. And um, you know, this is one of a, a couple of different populations where we where we we do that. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Medicare, uh, and I'm a geezer now, and I now have Medicare, <laughs> and it's working pretty well. And um, I'm just wondering, are there people? Am I an anomaly here? Are there people out there who like the coverage they have now? and would be resistant to making any changes or folding it into a big super program? Are there any people out there actually like their coverage? Do you come across those in your advocacy work? Well, I think many people who are covered like being covered and the benefits of coverage, right? They, they want to have the card in their wallet and know that if they do go into an emergency room or if their child comes down with, a, 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 with an incident, a cold, that they have a place to go and all that. Uh, I don't think they love their insurance company. And, um, and I think that there's a very different approval rating for the population at large, which at any given moment is generally healthy and the, and 
the people who are actually experiencing the healthcare system on a regular basis, of who have chronic conditions, who have who have been, you know, going through the the healthcare system and dealing with its inequities and its complexity and its and its and its very real costs, um, including many of the financial barriers that that exist, including ever increasing deductibles. I would um, I do think that uh, Medicare is uh, is fairly popular, which is why uh, we think that folks can build on it, at least rhetorically. That's why uh, advocates, uh, you know, call a single payer system a Medicare for all system because it would be structured similar to, to Medicare. Although many of us actually think it should be better than Medicare. Medicare actually has some fairly significant cost sharing, has some gaps in, in, in what is covered. And uh, we would want to make sure that those gaps are filled in, in, um, in a, as we have a more universal system. Uh, but I think, uh, but I think the notion that uh, you know Medicare was a controversial uh, Medicare was a controversial decision back when it was adopted over fifty years ago. But now it's uh, you know as American as motherhood and apple pie, and I and we think it um, that would be the case for a new system uh, when we see fit to adopt one. What about hospitals? Uh, sort of going off on a tangent here, but whenever you talk about healthcare, hospitals always get into it largely because from the patient's point of view, it costs a lot of dough. There's always some sort of surprise billing. Uh, there are a lot of things going on financially with hospitals, especially right now with, I think, being crowded and jammed because of the Omicron variant. But, but there's always a lot going on with them. How would this, um, how would the AB 1400 or the governor's proposal you know, for that matter, how would it affect them? And if we had single payer right now, does that mean if I went to the hospital, I wouldn't have to worry about my bill, it gets paid, it's covered, whether it's a hospital bill or an audiology bill or optometry bill or something else? Well, the, the vision of a universal healthcare system is that folks will be able to get the hospital care that they need and not have, um, have no or, or a, mi a minimal financial barrier to, to, to get that care. You know, I think that any system, part of that depends on the details. I would say, you know, right now, the, the hospitals have indicated their support for the expansion of, of coverage, which, you know, makes sense since that's, that's more paying customers um, for them. Yeah. I, would, I will say that there are uh, parts of the governor's agenda that they have expressed concerns about, like the greater oversight on their costs from an office of healthcare affordability, we 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 hope that we can um, work to get that passed because that's really important. You know, we we have seen um, here in California some of the highest uh, uh, some some very high disparities in hospital charges based on regions and based on consolidation. That was the basis of. Uh, now HHS Secretary, but then Attorney General Javier Becerra's suit against the Sutter Health System, for example. And, um, and I think that that's an example of the kind of market failures that happen in our healthcare system and why there needs to be some, you know, just broader oversight over healthcare costs in general. Um, I'm glad that we've been taking specific steps. You mentioned surprise medical billing. Um, uh, we were able to pass some good legislation here in California a couple of years ago that actually helped become a model for national legislation that just um, went into effect this January uh, 1st on protecting folks against surprise medical bills. But uh, it, it's, it still is 
the case that going to a hospital is inevitably a really expensive proposition. And, you know, we, we need people to be covered, but we also need to be able to address the, the very significant costs um, that uh, people get when seeking basic medical care. So to clarify one thing you said earlier, uh, you mentioned that the hospitals were in favor of the governor's expansion of healthcare. But to be clear, both the hospitals and the CMA have come out in opposition to AB 1400. Am I correct there? Yeah, no, they they and other parts of the industry have opposed um, uh, the single payer proposal, not just the insurers who whose role would be replaced in, um, in such a system, but the providers who, among other things, would be concerned about um, being paid less. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot of modeling that suggests uh, what, what you could do to pay provide providers fairly. But um, right now, the providers do get a chance to sort of charge whatever they will in many cases. And, um, and if there was a, a, a system that would, that ability would be curtailed. Um, you know, we're one of the few countries in the world where we basically allow the pro- providers to basically charge what they will. And I think that that um, is one of the reasons why we have some of the highest costs in the, in the industrialized world. I noticed on one of the analyses, assembly committee analysis, I think it mentioned, it, it listed the people in support. This is on AB 1400. Um, and, well, and I think I think the nurses, because I think they were the ones who really pushed this in the first place. Well, lots of labor groups. No, you're right. There are lots of labor groups. In a, but I didn't see uh, uh, anyone else. I mean, I think of major groups, I think, like Tim mentioned, the CMA, for example, uh, 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 they were... But I know the Association of California Health Plans, the HMOs, Kaiser, uh, were definitely uh, opposed. Um, are, we gonna, are we seeing a split in the healthcare community here? Suppose AB 1400 was passed. Uh, how would we, what kind of phase in time for that would be? Or if, even if the governor signed it during a campaign year, uh, but the tax has to be approved in order for it to be funded and to take effect. Uh, do you, do you have any thought about the political implications here as we go forward? I mean, the timetable, uh, I, I think that's a, it's a fair question about the timetable of, of what could be done, right? The, the proposal does need both to be financed and there, you know, I, I want to commend Assemblymember Kalra for putting forward a financing platform. We've had single payer bills um, over the years by, uh, by uh, many members, uh, yeah. I remember SB 810, SB 840, 921. Um, but one actually get passed and then get vetoed by Schwarzenegger. That's right. In two thousand in, in two thousand eight, of uh, good memory, they uh, uh, there was a a version that was passed and vetoed by Schwarzenegger. But none of those proposals had a financing mechanism attached. It was sort of the policy part of the bill. But um, to the extent that single payer is a description of a financing mechanism. Um, you know, that where it is obviously harder to get votes. Assemblymember Colorado has introduced uh, a one way to finance such a proposal in, in ACA 11, which also would uh, um, allow for certain constitutional changes like the famous GAN, lim- GAN limit or infamous GAN limit that we've been talking about more recently um, and changing that. So um, that would have to be 
passed in the legislature, two thirds of vote, as well as um, have a vote of the people. So that's a that's a process, uh, as well as the process of getting federal approval, you know, which would also you know take some time. So you know, this is a this is the beginning of a conversation, as Assemblymember Kara said, um, but I think it's an important one. And you know, again, there's another venue where this is happening, which is the governor's. Uh, set up with the legislature a Healthy California for All Commission to really dive into these issues. Because you know, even if you decide and um, that you want to go toward unified financing, toward a single payer a system, there are literally dozens of other decision points to make about um, about financing, about how you pay providers, how how you how you transition. Um, all sorts of things. And we really need to, the more we can flesh that out, the more that uh, we can be ready when the window of opportunity arises. And also the more we can generate trust with parts of the health system that are willing to go along with such a change and with the, the California public. Well, and speaking of trust, so in 2008, Obama was elected and 2010, we passed uh, the Affordable Care Act. And there was such deep and strident opposition to that. Uh, you know, I remember the protests at the, at the California Capitol, let alone the national Capitol. And uh, many saw that as the reason that the Republicans returned in the midterms in a huge wave, a red wave, was in response to, to government messing around with people's health care. Now, uh, at that time, the Affordable Care Act was was very deeply unpopular. Now it is now popular. I think it's actually polling, uh, polling above fifty percent. And the famous uh, "they have to they have to see it to know what's in it" uh, quote has actually come to pass. And once people actually see what it's like, they go, oh, this, "I actually like this." But um, do you think that we're in danger here? That if this becomes a really serious proposal, it, it does get out of the legislature, perhaps goes to uh, the governor for signature. Do you see that sort of opposition in California or is California far enough to the left and has this conversation changed enough since 2010 that we might not see that sort of strident opposition? Because it was really, it was pretty notable. I would say that I think part of the effort of the Affordable Care Act was to build that trust that we can do big things that we could uh, and I and I hope that that is building trust with the California public that um, we can make progress that is positive for their experience. Um, you know, prior to the Affordable Care Act, we had a, a nearly twenty percent uninsured rate. Under the Affordable Care Act, we've cut that in more than half. We've uh, we've uh, you know covered California, which is uh, has been I think extolled as and I think I agree as, as one of the best exchanges in the nation, you know, has had an average rate increase um, of the last three years of less than 1%, um, you know, and has, has only grown in terms of uh, now over 1.5 million Californians getting coverage through that, um, th through that portal, through that marketplace. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think you're right. When people uh, learn that they could, you know, get access to coverage and not have to deal with uh, pre-existing conditions that they're, that we can put in place standards with regard to basic benefits where we could provide a, a, affordability assistance so people don't have to pay more than the percentage of their income for coverage. Those were things that were popular. And so when 
the Republicans sought to repeal that effort, there was a major backlash, and especially here in California. Um, in, in, when the Republicans attempted that in 2017, we had 14 Republican members of Congress who voted um, for that repeal. Um, in the elections in 2018, half of them were, were replaced and largely on the, the issue of the, the, the ACA repeal and healthcare repeal. Um, I, I think that shows the salience of how if we can show that the, that the reform is positive, then you know, people will rally to it. I think we, you know, we need to build on that momentum and you know, do that um, with both the, the steps that the governor has outlined in the budget and, uh, and um, with, with broader, further reaching reforms like um, what we're talking about here, you know, getting to the goal of a fully universal and unified health system. Anthony, I had one last question. What, uh, I meant to ask this earlier, what is the difference between single payer healthcare and universal healthcare? Universal healthcare is a, a goal. Single payer is a financing, uh, um, uh, is a description of a financing system. Uh, I think single payer can fi financing is a way to easily get to universal because if you're basically financing the healthcare system through the tax system, then basically everybody is uh, is covered, and it's not dissimilar to how we fund libraries and fire departments and other you know essential services in our in our community and state and and country. However, there are other ways to get to universal coverage. Um, uh, actually, there's as many countries are there are, are in the world that have universal coverage. There, there's that many types, different types of systems. Every system is a little bit different. Some are more purely single payer, like Canada. Some, like Great Britain, is actually a national health service where the, uh, the government actually is is the employer of the doctors and the, the hospitals yeah. and, and whatnot. And there's all sorts of other permutations and, um, uh, you know, th th throughout the world, uh, in Asia, in Europe, et cetera. I would say that we can get to universal in a couple of different ways, but I think the reason to get the single payer also is for some other benefits as well, including efficiency and um, streamlining of the system, which can be really, really complex and confusing now. Um, because uh, and especially with regard to um, having a better control of costs and in, and in particular, being able to put, put in place the incentives for a system that drives toward quality and equity and you know, rather than just profit uh, and, and consolidation. Um, right now, our healthcare system is not aligned where you know, what we pay for healthcare actually doesn't have a lot to do with how much it costs to provide that service or the quality of that service or the outcomes of that service. It actually has a lot more to do with how big, comparatively big the provider is to be able to negotiate a, a, a bigger and bigger price. And that's not necessarily how we want to have the incentives in our healthcare system. And, th and that's what uh, we need to, to figure out moving forward. Great. Anthony Wright, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think you'll be back as we go through these bills and this legislation and the governor's proposal. So thanks again. Thanks for coming and talking with us today. Tim thank Boston. you so much. Thank you, Anthony Wright. And now Tim and I are going to go to the fun portion of our podcast, Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics? The Worst Week. Worst Week. Worst Week. Worst Week. 
and we came up with Sirhan Sirhan. It would be hard to imagine somebody who had a more difficult week than him. Um, he's been in prison, what, uh, almost 50 years or more, almost 50 years. Uh, he was convicted in the, uh, of shooting Senator Robert, New York Senator Robert Kennedy in the Ambassador Hotel right after the, Canada, the California primary, Kennedy won the California primary in 1968. He was, redu- he was rejected for, um, he was denied parole by the governor. The parole board said, yes, he should be eligible for release. The governor said no. And under a law in California that came about during the 80s when Republican Governor George McMajian was outraged that he couldn't block a parole, it went to the ballot voters approved Prop 89. So the governor can step in and block a parole. Tim, what do you think? I think Sirhan Sirhan probably did have a bad week, although, frankly, I think he had to expect this. Uh, The governor has noted that RFK was his political hero. And so it would be unusual, I would say, to uh, parole someone who assassinated one's political hero. I I mean, I suppose it's, it's possible, but it seemed unlikely at best. Also, uh, this election year, crime has become a rising issue. Uh, I think three or four years ago, crime was really not a top of mind issue in California, but it certainly seems like it is becoming more so every day. Uh, in fact, with that, I should should have a, a little bit of a note that we are going to be doing a conference on crime in California on March 3rd. Uh, we're still putting together the details on that, but uh, mark it on your calendar if crime is of interest to you. And we're going to be looking at what the crime rate really is and what's driving it and uh, what we're going to do about it. But Tim, that's called a shameless plug. It was very All shameless. Parts are shameless so Did you notice how shameless I was, John? Um, <laughs> you know, I think on, on Sirhan, uh, uh, the idea of putting a, you're right. He didn't expect it. I, there was no way he thought he was going to get out or anyone else thought it. We have an election year. There's no way a governor running for reelection is going to, is going to release and one of the most famous killers in the nation's history, not going to happen. Didn't happen with Manson before he died about three years ago. And he went up repeatedly, one of which I covered, by the way, many years ago. Never, it's not going to happen. Wouldn't happen with Sirhan. Didn't happen with other people. Um, but it raised a question for me, who should have the authority, the ultimate authority in deciding whether someone should be released? I argue it's the parole board. Uh, and politicizing that issue with by having the governor basically overrule the parole board, I don't think I don't think that's a good idea. It is true, governors decide on blocking death sentences, commuting death sentences. Pat Brown wrote a really amazing book if you if you haven't read it on the, all the cases that came before him uh, when he was governor that where someone was sentenced to death and how he decided to pull that sentence or not. It's really a, a moving book about mercy and justice and how he applied his standards. This is really sort of amazing. I didn't expect him to get out. Uh, what would have been a great story was if he got out. That would have been a hell of a news story. But the expected now, nah, not that, not so much. Well, and it's interesting. So I saw, you know, uh, Robin Epley, who is over at the Sacramento Bee editorial board now, uh, wrote a wrote a position that she believed that. He should have gotten out. And it's interesting because, you know, I am very uh, much in favor of sort of thoughtful uh, rehabilitation, but I just don't know that someone that assassinated a major political figure for a political reason, it wasn't that uh, Sirhan Sirhan was not like uh, 
the attempted assassin of Ronald Reagan, who was clearly mentally ill and was doing this to get the attention of a movie star. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan was was committing a political assassination. And I do feel like that's a different category of crime uh, that is pretty heinous in our democratic society. The idea that you would assassinate a political figure to change uh to change the outcome of your political future or, you know, the, your politics of your interests. I think that that's something that really should be punished about as harshly as possible. And while I, you know, just to be clear, I'm, I'm not a favor. I'm not in favor of the death penalty myself. Uh, but I do think that it would be very weird to let someone who had done that go and walk the streets. Could he, should he possibly be in some other institution other than a high security prison? Uh, sure, that may be a, an answer, but I don't know that just let him go. He seems to have committed an act that really strikes the heart of our democracy, at least to me, not to Robin Epley, but to me. <laughs> also, one little final sidelight. It's a federal crime now uh, to kill a federal office holder. And um, at the time this crime was committed, that was not the case. But I think, and I may be wrong here, but I think it was after Reagan that that went into effect about that time. I think it went into effect, make this a federal crime. Sirhan at Sirhan has been in state prison, not federal prison. It was a state crime at that point. So, you know, and by the way, I, we should mention uh, when we were discussing who had the worst week, the other names that came up were uh, former uh, legislator Lorena Gonzalez and also former legislator Nathan Fletcher, whose house caught on fire uh, under mysterious circumstances earlier this week. Luckily, they nor their family were harmed. They got out. But uh, the front of their house did catch on fire at four o'clock in the morning. The police and the fire department are, are terming that as suspicious fire. Uh, that may or may not be a political act. And we'll find out about that, uh, I'm sure, down the road. But that ostensibly could be a pretty crappy political week if someone lit your house on fire uh, because they they had a, a yeah, political, political disagreement with you. But we don't know. That may have, who knows, maybe it was just a light fixture on their uh, on their front entryway light caught fire. So we'll we'll defer that question. But, it, you know, to note that 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 may be a really crappy, crappy uh, political week. We just don't know. OK, Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, Sean. Uh, this is John Howard saying we will talk to you next time around. Thank you so much for joining us. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.